The Holy Gospel according to John, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were beside the sea, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe in you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. We're spending several weeks in a row here now in the Gospel of John, and so today we are going to do some big-picture Bible study on the Gospel of John. John's Gospel begins by echoing the beginning of the Bible, which begins in Genesis 1 with the words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the way Genesis says that God did God's creating is by speaking words. Let there be this, God says, and let there be that. And after six days of that, there is everything. It's a poetically majestic account of the awesomeness and majesty of the creator of all, which nevertheless leaves, when it comes to scientifically and historic kind of details, leaves us really not knowing all that much at all. The book of Job suggests that that is because understanding how exactly God did God's creating is above our human pay grade. Cosmologists and physicists today certainly, I'm sure, know more about these things than I do, but even they will tell you, they will tell you that what they do know about the universe that Genesis says God created pales compared to all the things they know that they don't know. Which takes us to the beginning of the Gospel of John, which begins with those very same words Genesis did, as John writes, in the beginning was the Word. There is absolutely no doubt John absolutely intends us for to be thinking about Genesis 1 when we read John 1. But then John goes on to say something that the author of Genesis wouldn't have been yet able to say when after saying, in the beginning was the word, he goes on to say, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. And then here comes John's one-verse version of the Christmas story. And the Word became flesh 
and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. You hear what John is saying. The creator who is beyond knowing desires to be more fully known. The creator who is beyond our understanding desires us, wants us to be more fully understood. And so God, the creator, makes God's self more understandable and knowable by us humans by wrapping something of God's own self, not in the mystery and glory and majesty of the universe, but in the mystery and glory and humility of the human flesh of Jesus. Jesus, who later in John will speak of the mystery and miracle of the fact that to see him is to see God. To know him is to know God. In the world of all the world's faiths, it is the unique claim of the Christian faith, God being knowable personally and literally in the literal flesh and blood of the literal person, Jesus of Nazareth. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the word with which and with whom God created. And the word became in the flesh, Jesus. And so John begins his story of Jesus with that direct echo of the seven days of creation in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. Second Bible study point. As John goes on to tell the story of Jesus, he does so describing multiple times when Jesus directly echoes a verse from the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, specifically when God speaks to Moses from a burning bush, many of you remember the story, and tells him to go to Egypt and to lead God's people out of Egypt, out of bondage, into freedom. And Moses says, well, who should I say sent them? Sent me to them. What's your name? And God says God's name is Yahweh. We used to say Jehovah, and then they came to realize that Yahweh was actually more accurate, which in either case is a transliteration of a Hebrew word which essentially means I am. Tell the people, God said, that I am sent you. Which taken literally tells us, I suppose, that God exists, which surely is good to know. But as was the case in Genesis 1, Anything much beyond that remains still clothed, clouded in the fiery brightness of majesty and mystery, spoken of best not with the grandness of our understanding minds, but I think rather with the grandness of our most grand hymns of praise. Like, for example, immortal, invisible God, only wise in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Hid from our eyes, that is. Until the Word, John says, the Word who became flesh as Jesus says what sounds initially like the darndest thing, unless you are somebody who remembers that story from Exodus chapter 3, at which point what he is saying is not the darndest, goofiest thing, but actually something that is crystally and even goose-bumpily clear when he says to a group of people who are questioning his authority, Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am.
without explicitly using the word God, that is arguably the clearest places in all of the scripture where Jesus himself, crystally clear, identifies himself as divine. Which those who heard him that day did understand. They knew the book of Exodus. And so they tried to kill him. But he slipped away from them. It wasn't time. But in terms of helping us actually to know something more about this God who is beyond our understanding, to know something more about this God who is beyond our knowability, in seven different chapters in John's Gospel, Jesus says those words, I am, identifying as God, but this says something too. And for the excitement of our grammar geeks and English majors, I will tell you that what he does is say the word ad am, I am, and then he adds to that sentence a predicate nominative. I can see the excitement buzzing through the crowd. He adds a descriptive image. And in doing so, starts to tell us so much more about what God is like and what he is like. And I've told you all of that now by way of telling you this. The very first place in John's gospel where he does that is in our reading for today. Where he begins saying, I am. And then adds, the bread of life. And then too, because he often does this after his I am statements, after the I am statement, he adds a promise. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And how much truth and promise is there to be known in that image of Jesus as the bread of life? There's so much truth that John saw fit for his sixth chapter of John, which is all about the image of bread, to be 71 chapter, 71 verses long. And the, the lectionary compilers who tell us what scripture readings to use each Sunday saw fit to have us spend five straight weeks in John 6 to hear every single verse. There's a lot there. We heard the beginning of John 6 last week when Jesus, not as the bread, but rather as the miraculous giver of bread, gave bread and fish to feed 5,000 people, which so impressed the people that they wanted to make him their king then and there. But he slipped away from them. It wasn't time. Jesus then told the disciples to get into their boat and head to the other side of the Sea of Galilee without him, but they ran into choppy waters and winds and stalled, at which time he then, we heard last week, walked out on top of the water to them, at which point they saw this shadowy figure coming at them on the water in the dark and were understandably terrified, at which point, according to our English translation, Jesus says, it is I. Do not be afraid. But guess what? And, and by guess what, I mean that Bible geek-wise, this is very cool. I'm talking about the fact that John's original Greek, which our NRSV does translate as it is I, could also be translated as I am. Which if you translate it that way, you hear this story making grammatically the same point it makes miraculously. That point being that when they're seeing what they're seeing, when they're seeing him walking on the water, is a God in front of their eyes thing. 
Which takes us to our text for today, which takes place the very next day when the crowds go back to where they had last seen Jesus and he's not there. And so they follow the boats where the disciples had gone. And when they get there, they see Jesus there and they say, how did you get there? Because one thing they know for sure is that he wasn't on those boats when they took off last night. Jesus doesn't answer their question. He says to them and said, you're not here looking for me because you saw signs. You're looking for me because I fed you last night. Another Bible study note, in the Gospel of John, miracles are never referred to as miracles. They are referred to as signs. Signs being things that we see, but they aren't just meant to be seen for themselves. They are meant to direct us to something, to lead us to something, to point us in the direction of something. The people, Jesus said, hadn't seen the sign. The miracle of the bread and fish actually pointing to the truth of who Jesus really was, but saw rather only piles of food and then wanted him to be their king, presumably so that he could do that food thing for them every day, starting right here and now on this very next day. Now, to be clear, poverty was widespread in first century Galilee, and so what they wanted was completely understandable. But Jesus instead says to them next, do not work for the food that perishes but work for the food that endures to eternal life. And with those words, this story takes the deeper turn that he wants it to take for them and for us, that deeper turn being that though, of course, absolutely, of course, people need food in their empty stomachs. It's one of the first human needs there is, the greatest human needs there is. And people who call Jesus Lord are called to give food, put food in, in stomachs in every way that we can. But that said, there is nevertheless more than one way to be hungry. And so too, there is more than one kind of nourishment we need to satisfy our hunger's aches. And sometimes, of course, forgetting that and not seeing the signs, but seeing rather, in our cases, only what's in the pantry or in the fridge or in the drive through lane at the fast food place, people try to alleviate our deepest hungers and fears and anxieties with the wrong kind of food. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who discovered that anew, in the first few months of the pandemic, when the, the, the grocery stores didn't just run out of toilet paper and hand sanitizer, right? They also ran out of comfort foods. Foods with, from which we sought comfort, but which gave us instead, in my case anyway, about 20 COVID pounds. Jesus did feed hungry bellies in this life, and he calls us to do the same thing in this world. But today he reminds us that we and the world have more than one kind of hunger, and so we need more than one kind of bread, including, he says to the crowd today, not just bread like the barley bread that I gave you yesterday, but bread, the bread that I am, which will also more feed you for more than a day in a life. The bread I am, he says, is bread that will feed you unto eternal life. They say, what must we do? He said, believe in the one God sent you. 
They said, what sign are you going to give us so that we will believe in you? I mean, Jesus, gosh, Moses, you know, gave our ancestors manna, bread from heaven to eat. Jesus, being Jesus, and therefore, in John's words, being full of grace and truth, did not then say what I, not being Jesus, would have surely thought needed to be said at that moment. Are you people for crying out loud kidding me? It was just last night that I fed 5,000 of you with five buns and two fish, and now you say you want a sign? You don't need a sign. You need to learn to read the signs you've already been given. But Jesus being Jesus didn't say that. Instead, he said, well, first of all, he said, to be clear, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives. Oh, grammar geeks, notice this? He just made a switch from past tense to present tense. Not my Father who gave, my Father who gives. Not something back there and then, but here and now. It is my Father who gives you the true bread. Come down from heaven. And then he leans in more deeply, saying, The true bread, which gives you more than a full stomach, the bread which gives life, the real thing starting right here and now but unto forever is the bread that God gives you that comes, notice again, present tense, here and now, comes from heaven to you. And they said, would you give us some of that bread, not just for now but for always? And that's when he says it. I am the bread of life. And then he adds the promise. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Kurt was dying. He was in the hospice house in Mason City, Iowa. He was no longer eating. He couldn't eat anymore, and he didn't want a feeding tube, so he was going to die. Without food, you die, and the time was near. I saw him on a Friday night. I think it was in the fall because I vaguely remember there was a high school a ball game going, football game going on uh, at the edge of town as I drove out of town. When I got there, his eyes were closed, but he was still conscious, and so I fed him food that he could eat. And as I did, I watched him. I could, I, I could see him eating. I started with the nourishment of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And then I went to the Gospel of John and Jesus' words, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give them eternal life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Kurt opened his eyes. He said, Roger, uh, he and I had been the same golf foursome for years on Thursday afternoons. Um, we weren't, I wasn't just his pastor, we were friends. Roger, he said, do you believe that? I said, I do, Kurt. He closed his eyes, he paused, and then he said, I do too. And then he said, I thought I'd be afraid, but I'm not. I was not there the next day when 
peacefully, I'm told, he died. But I am, was there, and in him, with him, filled full by him, dying, Kurt lived. And I'm not telling you to take my word for that, but I'm telling you that you sure as heaven can take the word become flesh's word for that. You can also take his word for this. Are you hungry for more than food for your stomach? Then believe in, eat of, feast on Jesus. Amen.